Hey there, folks. Are you tired of the same old boring, mundane products? Well, let me introduce you to our sponsors for today's podcast. Gnomeland Security and their newest product, Juice, and T-Rex Arms for living your best life as a prehistoric predator. Juice is the only product on the market that will not only align your chakras and blast your mind into a state of eternal enlightenment, but it'll also allow you to see through the eyes of a gnome. And T-Rex Arms. Forgetting T-Rex arms. <laughs> but don't just take my word for it. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. Howdy, y'all. It's Ned from Gnomeland Security. If you're freaking tired of those pesky gnomes creeping around in your garden at night, pissing all over your leafy greens, and eating all your turnips, well, with just one sip of fade juice, you'll be transported to a world of vibrant colors, lucid dreams, and universal truths. Distilled from the secretions extracted from the ovaries of dismembered fairies, and combined with the potent psychedelic properties of gnome anal glands that have been aged for four years in young oak barrels, we have created the only safe means to see what the gnomes see. If you're tired of all those pesky little rascals stealing all your Irish footballs and shitting all in your work boots, try our juice. We guarantee within a matter of minutes you'll be on a vision quest bound straight for vengeance. They drew first blood, but you'll have the last laugh. By seeing through their eyes, you'll get in their minds. You can act before they act, think before they think. You'll always be one step ahead. Juice puts the power back in your hands. With our product, we can unite against them little bastards and annihilate them from the face of this earth. Praise be to our Lord. It's like a spiritual awakening in a bottle. The gnomes have clouded our minds with impure envisionments for far too long. It's time to take back what's ours. And don't worry, Fade Juice is 100% all natural and organic. It's made with the finest herbs, spices, and hallucinogenic fairy ovaries and gnome anal glands that can be found from around the world. With just one sip of Fade Juice, you'll feel like you're living in a magical fairy tale. One where those freaking gnomes never even existed. Your energy will soar, your skin will glow, and your hair will shine like a thousand diamonds. But that's not all. Juice is also known to enhance your mental abilities. You'll be able to solve complex problems with brilliant new ideas and tap into the energy of the gnome wisdom. You can be sure that you'll know every trick in their little gnome book. It also gives you a 12-hour erection. Juice, because sometimes you just need a little magic in your life. Get yours now. What, damn it? Hey, are you tired of having long, unwieldy arms that get get in the way of everyday life? Are you sick of accidentally smacking your friends in the face when you're just trying to give them a hug? Do you wish you could have the convenience and style of a T-Rex? Well, have no fear, because T-Rex Arms is here to help. With T-Rex Arms, you can finally achieve the short, stubby arms you've always dreamed of. Our patented arm shortening technology is safe, effective, and guaranteed to make you the envy of all your friends. Everyone everyone at the party will be impressed with your fierce and fashionable arms. Imagine being able to reach the bottom of a Pringles can without getting your arms stuck. 
or fitting into a crowded elevator without poking someone in the eye. The possibilities are endless, but don't just take my word for it. Here's what some of our satisfied customers have to say. This is Dave from Bingleton. I used to struggle with long arms, but ever since I got T-Rex arms, I feel like I can conquer the world. And here's Sarah, 27, from Double Westminster. I thought T-Rex arms was just a silly gimmick, but now I can't imagine my life without them. And don't worry, our patented arm shortening technology is completely safe and painless. Plus, you can choose from a wide range of styles, T-Rex arms to suit your personal taste. We've got classic brown, a bright pink, and even a glittery gold. But the benefits don't stop there. T-Rex arms are also great for scaring off potential threats. Imagine being confronted by a mugger, but instead of pulling out a weapon, you just roar like a T-Rex and show off your impressive arms. Trust us, they'll think twice about messing with you. Order your T-Rex arms today and start living your best life as a prehistoric predator. And as a bonus, use this code DINOLOVE for 10% off your first order. So what are you waiting for? Order your T-Rex arms today and join the ranks of the coolest and most convenient creatures in history, T-Rex arms, because why not? Alright, thank you to uh, Gnomeland Security and T-Rex arms for those wonderful commercials for us we're getting <laughs> so let's get into the uh let's get into the content of this podcast um yeah so we left off uh with the last episode um uh, i mentioned that we're going to be going over uh implementing right intention to develop healthy relationships so this is the uh, this is the second lesson um, or teaching, I mean, in in the eightfold path. So um, yeah, we'll just we'll do what we did in the last episode, apply it to our relationships, and just explore uh, explore the teaching and explore um, how we can do that. So let's get into it. tired of having long unwieldy arms <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm kidding alright right intention right intention can be uh, it can be broken down into three parts so that we can more easily practice this teaching the first part of the uh, of the teaching is the idea of renunciation and renunciation might sound a little scary at first but don't worry. Uh, there's varying levels of renunciations uh, that we can implement to find the right fit for our motivations and our purposes. So, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing there. Um, it's more of a tailored to each individual. So, When people first hear about that, um, or first hear about renunciation, it might sound like a dramatic shift in the way one is required to live. But in fact, renunciation is more so the intention to make efforts to simplify our lifestyles and to manage or regulate our cravings uh, for the things and the emotional states that are unsustainable and or unattainable. Some examples might be desires for things like material possessions, 
constant gratification in our romantic lives through sexual stimulation, especially if our romantic relationships are purely sexual and lacking in any real compassion and love. And then there's the big one, uh, immortality. And how far you want to take this first part of the practice of right intention is entirely up to you. We can all probably think of a time we bought something nice for ourselves, like a new car, and maybe you even had a really awesome one-night stand in the back of that car, and maybe they banged your brains out, right? And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? And honestly, nothing. In that moment, it was uh, what you felt you needed, and... And if that's the case, I'm genuinely happy for you. And uh, if you have had fun moments like that or like those in your life, uh, that, you know, moments that are spontaneous and exciting, and that's, that's, you know, that's good. Like, that's what life's about. You're supposed to enjoy it. So, uh, and, and deep down, you might even be wishing that you could just stay young forever, right? And do those types, do those types of things for, you know, for eternity. I mean, shit, I'd, you know, I'd be tempted. Even the most, uh, even the most expensive, experienced mindfulness practitioners might be tempted if presented with the opportunity to be immortal, right? Um, we can't live forever, you know, because we know that's not realistic, right? We we can't live forever, and at least, you know, not, not at this moment. Um, who knows what the future holds? But uh, even if we had, you know, even if we gain the capabilities of immortality, we'll still have suffering as a as a constant companion to keep us company throughout that eternity. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, that's a scary thought, right? We, we can't escape suffering as long as we have unsustainable desires. When we're focused on the cravings or our desires, we're living in a state of anxiety concerning a, a future outcome that can't be predicted, which is thus pulling us away from being fully present in the current moment, which has dramatic uh, impacts on our relationships. Um, when you got that new car, it probably momentarily relieved all the anxieties that you had leading up to that purchase, right? The anxieties related to having reliable transportation, the anxieties related to being viewed as a responsible individual that has enough income to provide themselves with things that reflect upon their status and maturity level. And you may have uh, not thought about it in those terms, but often these underlying motivations are at the root of our experience when choosing something like a new car. Um, you know, are they not? I think uh, most of us could agree to that. Um, even if we don't think about it, uh, you know, at the forefront of our mind, it's, it's there subconsciously. And cars are often material reflections of our egos. And deep down, since many of our actions are, um, since many of the actions we have in life are subconsciously stem, stemming from a place of sexual desire, we often choose a vehicle that will, um, that we believe will provide us with certain level, uh, a certain level of sex appeal. And even if that's not the case for you, let's just let's just go with this example for a moment. Okay, so you, you get to the car and you're and you're feeling all new and improved, and you even managed to find yourself in the back seat and of that new car, and you had that awesome one night stand, and everything's going great that week. But as we all know, uh, contentment, like everything else, is impermanent. So before you know it. That one night stand is a distant memory and you're alone in your car and you're driving home from work and maybe you're feeling lonely again and maybe you hope that one night stand was you know maybe going to develop into something more meaningful maybe you look down and you notice that the car is beginning to show signs of age the seats are a little more dirty than before and, and there's a stain on the floorboard from the coffee you spilled a few weeks back and there's a smell of stale french fries that have 
taking refuge in the cracks beneath your seat uh, where the vacuum just can't reach and you get out and you close the door and you notice a new scratch and then a month later or something you back into a post and and then voila you know someone or someone rear ends you it's like you know that that new car is it's an old car it's you know and the miles are going up and up and up and before you know it you're looking for a new car <laughs> because you know that's going to be the key to you getting your spunk back right so you see where I'm going with this. It's the it's history repeats itself, right? And uh, it's a repetitive cycle of feelings of inadequacy and desire, inadequacy, inadequacy, excuse me, and desire. So, desire to relieve ourselves from the suffering is what it is. And um, so we got the desire to relieve ourselves from the suffering, and that's brought on by our attachments of who we think we are, um, or who we think we need to be in order to get attention and sexual stimulation, right? And of course, this is constantly promoted by advertising, and it's further solidified in our minds by our culture, um, which is really sad, but that's the state of the world we live in right now, um, at least here in America, and I'm sure many other countries. And we uh, we play into this. We accept these false realities as truths oftentimes. Um, I mean, sure, we all see commercials, we just roll our eyes and go, okay, what does that have to do with anything? You know, you're just trying to trick me, but... Um, I mean, it, it, it works. It really does. Um, the ones we don't notice, even the ones we do notice, I mean, subconsciously we're taking that in. And uh, yeah. so we, we allow them to have power over our happiness in that way and uh, contentment, you know, power over our happiness, power over our contentment. And, and thus we ultimately have, uh, we let them have major sway over the amount of, that we suffer. As far as immortality goes, um, just imagine being immortal. Let's say you never age and never get and never get sick, right? You like you'll live healthily healthily as long as you aren't uh, in an accident. And let's say you're very careful. Um, eventually, all of your loved ones will fall victim to a tragic and abrupt ending related to an accident, right? So, because you're the most careful one, right? So, who's the unfortunate one in that situation? The people who died, or the people that are the person you know that are going that's going through eternity, uh, you know, an eternal existence with only memories of the, of the ones that you loved, they loved, you know, they'd be doomed to live a life of fear, um, fear of potential accidental death, a fear of making new relationships related to the fear of the potential for further loss of those that they become attached to. So that's just food for thought right there. Um, you know, be careful what you wish for kind of vibe right there, uh, with that. So, Summer, you know, just to summarize, um, renunciation, desire leads to suffering. How far you feel you need to take this practice is going to be dependent on how much you wish to reduce your attachments in order to reduce suffering. Sometimes we aren't aware of why we are suffering and we might feel a dull or mild depression throughout every day of our lives and not be sure of the source. Most likely it's stemming from our attachment to these ego-driven desires and our animalistic desires as well so um, this is all you know this is all very subconscious um, stuff right there so but examining our subconscious motivations can aid us in consciously making steps to address uh, these desires and I don't want this to come off like I'm saying we need to refrain from having you know great sex and buying ourselves nice things and um, and all that, I'm, I'm just getting my, the point I'm trying to drive home is that we need to be aware of, be aware that whenever we enter into a romantic relationship, especially a serious one, we're creating attachment. And the same goes for our material possessions and, 
um, as and as we've established, as we've established, um, you know, in the last one episode, and then you know, and what I'm getting at here, um, we've established that attachments are the root cause of suffering. So even even monks who live every aspect of their lives with the Dharma, you know, within the Dharma and um, abide by by the Dharma very in a very strict sense, they they still have suffering. Um, it's just a matter of it's all just a matter of scale. So um, ask yourself before you know entering in into any potential emotional investment, how is this going to translate in terms of attachment and suffering? Um, and don't get me wrong, this shouldn't ruin the joy. That's that's not the goal. It's just a method to remind ourselves of the interconnected reality of cause and effect, right? So, um, you know, the the car and the one-night stand example, it's just an example of how even our subconscious comes into play when dealing with the subject of attachments and suffering. For a more direct example related to our relationships, let's take for a moment, um, let's examine some of uh, our own past relationships. I'm sure you can think of a time when you'd had a relationship with someone that cared, uh, that you cared for deeply, right? Um, but for whatever reason, you found yourself less attracted to them over time. You both, you know, you both changed over time and it's, and it just wasn't the same. The spark was gone and you had an attachment to the person. Um, you had an attachment to that person, um, for who they kind of were when you began the relationship with them. And, they may have been more um, accepting of of the changes that you both had undergone, undergone, and and you felt differently. So you you just felt you needed to end the relationship. Uh, you know, I've been there. I'm sure you have as well. Um, and and this ultimately leads to suffering for both of you. Um, and it probably hurt you to have to break it. Uh, you know, to break it off with them. Um, and you no longer wanted the relationship in the same way they did. So. Um, they had to suffer hearing this news and, um, and they were probably still attached to you, uh, by their desire. Um, so you had, you didn't have the desire to be with them. They still had the desire to be with you. Um, and that was their suffering. Your suffering was having to, um, having to hurt them in that way. Um, or maybe it was vice versa. Um, I'm sure we've all, uh, been on the receiving end as well. Um, if not, you're fortunate. <laughs> um, the more, the more we, re- um, so, okay. So examples like these, examples like these are, um, why teaching, uh, why, why the teaching includes renunciation. The more we remove desires, like the desire to enter a relationship or the, the desire to end one, um, the less suffering we manifest in our lives. So it's really, it's, it's all up to you. Um, you have to weigh the benefits versus the potential for further suffering. Pros and cons, right? So by accepting um, impermanence and recognizing that everything changes, especially our relationships, uh, can help us develop a more flexible and uh, accepting attitude towards our relationships and the changes that occur within them. Um, This includes our relationships with uh, the environment as well, i.e., our relationships with our possessions and even our relationships with our perceptions. Um, it gets deep. So, so yeah, it covers that. Uh, moving on, we have the second part of this teaching, intentions of goodwill. When practicing right intention and implementing it as a tool to better our relationships, I feel like we should be 
careful not to lose sight of the fact that right intention is a teaching that promotes the constant monitoring of one's mindset through mindfulness practices, and especially mindfulness practices of meta, um, which in, in the Pali language basically means positive energy and kindness towards others. So we take that and then implementing the empathy we cultivate from those practices to promote within ourselves acts of altruism through right speech and right action. And uh, we're going to cover right speech and right action um, in the next two podcasts. Um, now, like I, not, like I discussed in the last episode, um, is there really such a thing as a selfless act of compassion? Well, who cares? Think about it. Think about it this way. If you're practicing metta, you're not only increasing your capacity for empathy and compassion towards others, but you're also healing yourself, quite literally. Uh, studies have shown that stress-relieving activities like meta-meditation can aid us in protecting our uh, telomeres. Telomeres are DNA structures at the uh, ends of our chromosome. So basically, they're, you're, you're basically protecting your genetic information. It's, it's pretty miraculous. As we age, our telomeres uh, naturally become shorter, and stress will speed up this process. So when you're stressed, it causes us to age even faster. And, you know, that's kind of like a snowball effect. You know, the more stress, the more you're aging. <laughs> the more stress, the more you're aging. And uh, so by meditating on the well-being of others, we're also aiding our own well-being. So by practicing meta, uh, basically practicing meta equals less stress and a longer life. Uh, meta practice will nurture our relationships by allowing us to recognize how the people closest to us make us feel, as well as help us to communicate more effectively, resolve our conflicts, and just develop a deeper connection with our uh, with our loved ones and and those that we seek to understand more fully. And uh, we might we might not think about these things every day, and uh, meta practice is a powerful way to remind us uh, on a regular basis just you know how important people are to us and how connected we are. And um, like I briefly mentioned, uh, meta is a it's a powerful tool for self love. In fact, uh, many meta meditations often begin with a compassion for oneself before expanding out to others. I would highly recommend finding a meta practice that suits you and then sticking with it for at least a week and just see how um, see if you notice any changes in your outlook and overall mood. I'm willing to bet that you'd, uh, you'd probably it'd be quite noticeable. And yeah, the, uh, I'll move on to the third and the final part. Um, and this is the teaching of harmlessness, uh, which can be defined um, as the will to avoid harm through any mental, verbal, or physical activity. It's probably pretty uh, easy to see why this part of the teaching uh, of right intention is not only... Um, directly translatable but very important in regards to our relationships right a relationship where harm is being done to one or even both or multiple people is a toxic and dangerous relationship avoiding behavior such as gossiping belittling or insulting others will ultimately result ultimately result in not only in a healthier relationship but a healthier mindset as well practicing kindness and generosity and taking responsibility for our actions um if you if you have harmed someone uh you know 
if you have harmed someone, it'll deeply impact the way uh, we interact with that um, with that person or the way we act, interact with one another from that moment forward. And um, it's important not only to make amend, uh, make amends, but it's also um, but to also just take take steps to ensure that it doesn't ever happen again. Um, we can do this by setting clear ethical boundaries based on compassion. Um, compassionate ethics involve setting boundaries to protect yourself and the uh, and others from harm. That's, that's really just what it's about. Establish, uh, you know, establishing like establish a clear boundary um, for your relationships and then communicate them effectively. Uh, respect others' boundaries, uh, other people's boundaries, and 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 just avoid the behaviors that will violate them once you have those boundaries set. So. So much of right intention uh, is played out in the teachings of right speech and right action. So, you know, I think I'll just keep this one fairly short and I'll do my best to demonstrate in the next two episodes uh, how right intention is the precursor to those uh, teachings and how they are all interconnected. Again, this this goes back to the tree metaphor, and I'll explain why I prefer a tree over the eighth spoked will in the mindfulness episode um, of this eight part series. But um, it's really all just semantics. Um, the will is also called uh, the Dharma Chakra. And uh, it's, don't get me wrong, it's, it's a wonderful representation of the Eightfold Path. And it's existed supposedly since the Buddha's first sermons. So I'm not like trying to, to replace anything. You know, my, it's not, my ego is pretty big, but it's not that big. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to symbolize the teachings of the Eightfold Path with another form so as to, potentially help others see it in a different light okay um so that's the goal you know i'm not trying to like rewrite buddhism that's you know that'd be ridiculous but so as always thank you for your time and if you enjoyed this episode please like subscribe comment rate review and all that good stuff that helps this sangha grow and i will hopefully see you on the next episode